Kia ora Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here, Ali Jones and James Norkise with me this afternoon. A big response regarding scanning. Scanning on the rare occasion that I meet someone else who's scanning, we congratulate each other as being someone of the few who do. It makes no sense to me why people don't. It takes so little time and effort. Uh, oh my God, the number of people in Central Valley who don't scan every time I go anywhere. There are always heaps of people who don't even bother. Another one here, stop your selfish behaviour and scan. Uh, and another one says, people also reporting it is hard to get through to Healthline today. So what are you seeing or hearing? Uh, and uh, thank you very much for your, all your feedback this afternoon. Just one more here. Hardly anyone I observe scanning. My daughter is immunocompromised and is in Wellington, so is a bit terrified. Not due for vaccinations until the end of July. She scans, but not much good when others don't. So stop your selfish behaviour is one text her. Wallace, I've just had a text from someone talking about the delays on that COVID line and they said, wow, try the COVID 0800 line uh, in Christchurch. He's rung. He's an older man. He said, it says, hold caller, you are number 100 13 and waiting right. time is 40 minutes. Ooh, okay. Mm. Uh, so if you are online, if you are listening, why don't you get in touch? Uh, 2101. Now, the Wellington region, as you know, will move to alert level uh, 2 from 6 pm tonight until at least 11.59 pm Sunday. After a visit from Sydney to Wellington, uh, at the weekend tested positive to COVID-19 on his return home. Health officials believe the man contracted the virus before travelling to New Zealand. Alert Level 2 includes limits on gatherings to under 100 people and social distancing in public spaces. Face masks remain compulsory on public transport and people are encouraged to wear masks when waiting for transport in taxis and around people they don't know. Rest of New Zealand remains at Alert Level 1. Those with cold and flu symptoms, aches and pains are encouraged to call the doctor and Healthline and ask about being tested. And a full list of locations of interest... Uh, on the Ministry of Health website. With us is Professor Kurt Krauss, an infectious disease physician and biochemistry professor at the University of Otago. Kia ora, Professor Krauss. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for asking me to join you. Pleasure. Um, now, do you think moving to level, level two is the right move? Oh, I, I think so. I think it's, it, it's prudent. I mean, the whole nation is holding its breath right now. Um, it seems like it's, um, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We now need to wait and see if um, uh, cases are going to spring up in, in the next few days based on the visit from this uh, an individual from Sydney. Um, we're assuming it's the Delta variant, which seems likely. The r naught on the Delta variant has been estimated to be five. So this uh, variant is really highly, highly infectious and significantly more infectious than the Alpha variant or the B117 variant we've been hearing about. So that means um, the potential to transmit quickly. And you probably may have seen the, the uh, 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 CCTV um, uh, uh, footage showing two yes. people sort of just passing by briefly and transmitting the virus from one to another. Uh, so this is a serious time, um, and, and we have to take it seriously and, and, and take all steps. So that's quite extraordinary. I mean, uh, the New South Wales Premier is saying, as you're saying, literally people not even physically touching, but frequently coming to the same airspace. Can you tell us a little bit more how this Delta variant, which I understand, we understand is from India, how it operates, how it's able to be tra- so transmissive? 
Well, um, so the viruses, of course, are sort of mindless nucleic acid entities that just replicate and infect. You know, there's a, 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 a big philosophical debate about are they living or not living, and most people would right. tell you they're not really living. They're just sort of um, uh, robotically uh, uh, cop. Are you there? Right, we'll get you back on. Uh, we're talking to uh, Professor Kurt Krauss there. Um, Ali, I'm just picking up, um, so you're hearing from uh, the COVID hotline there. But in terms of, let's go back to the scanning thing. What, what are you seeing? Do you scan? I will admit to not... We've had a big response here. Yeah, no, I'd admit to not scanning as much as I did. I was doing it absolutely religiously, everywhere, every time. Uh, And I do think once you start not to do it, it's easier to keep doing that. Whereas, you know, I really... The people that have texted in and contacted are absolutely right. There is no no excuse for it at all. It is not difficult. And as I came into RNZ, Alex said, oh, would you mind just scanning in? And actually, if he hadn't said anything, I probably wouldn't have. Good moment of honesty there, Ali. Now, someone here, I just rang the main COVID line and it was so busy, it wouldn't even let me go on hold. The GP gave me the Wellington number to try. I was on hold for one hour until I got through and an appointment made for a test at the new centre opening in Hatai this evening. So keep in touch with us on the panel here. We have Professor Kurt Krauss back with us. And Professor Krauss, I think just pick up on that, 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 that philosophical debate on whether this Delta uh, variant or rather viruses are living and not living. Oh, yes. Uh, I hope you guys can hear me now. Sure, yes, um, loud and clear. But... This particular variant has about 15 total mutations. They're clustered in the region of the spike protein, which binds to the protein on their uh, epithelial cells that and and, and it allows the the virus to be brought into the cell and, and allow it to replicate. And so from the vaccine's point of view, any change that it can make to make it bind more strongly to our cells, it will make. And then that particular uh, virus will begin to dominate. And so we saw alpha switch to beta and switch to gamma and delta and now delta sweeping the world. And this is just part and parcel of what a virus does and it will continue to do. And it seems to be doing quite a good job. So in return, what we need to do is vaccinate we need to social distance. We need to wear masks. We need to prepare for more variants, really by making new vaccines that are going to be aimed at these variants. And goodness, we've got to keep scanning. We need to get back onto scanning. Uh, and the so that's idea important. Of, that's really important. Extremely important, right? Because if you're passing by somebody and you're and you and uh, we 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 identify that person as a contact, but you can be traced, then that has the ability to stop the, the mm. uh, um, infection and, right. and lower that R value, lower that effective R value under one, so then the cases die out. Ali Jones, you got a question or a thought? No, no, I just no, I think I've said what I need to say on this. I'm embarrassed. James. I really am embarrassed. Um, Professor, I'm just wondering, when you talk about the R value being 5 for Delta, are you able to give um, myself as well as maybe other listeners um, some comparisons to, to how high that is to other strains? So um, the, the um, 117 strain was rumoured to have an R value of, of sort of 3, and then the early uh, uh, coronavirus as it came out of Wuhan was in sort of the, the 2 range. And what this means is um, all things uh, uh, 
um, each, so basically uh, all normal considerations in place, if you have an R value of five, you're likely to transmit the, the uh, virus to five different people before you've been identified and can be told to isolate and separate yourself. And then those five people are going to transmit it to five other people who in turn will translate it each to five other people. So one case can rapidly spread to 125 cases just through two transmission cycles. Whereas if you have an R of two, then you're talking about eight. So 125 mm -hmm. versus eight. And that's why we've got these, these dramatically higher numbers of uh, um, spreading cases through the Delta and why, why the Delta variant's been able to uh, become so dominant around the world. I have so, got one question, Wallace. Yes, I just sure. wanted to know, what, Kurt, how is the vaccine going to keep up with these mutations? And Because I, I imagine it's not going to be as effective as, as, the, as it mutates. Yes, yeah, so far the, the RNA uh, vaccines have done surprisingly well, right? So when we were talking about just the standard um, original coronavirus, it was 95% protection. We're now, we don't have great numbers because the situation's spreading so quickly, but it looks like we're in the sort of high, uh, high 80s, mid 80s, sort of 85% effective or close to 90. And that's not bad, right? And um, effective could uh, uh, can mean um, preventing and um, uh, infection, but actually, what's important is does it does it prevent death? Does it prevent serious infection? And for the most part, these RNA vaccines are blocking serious infection, and mm. that's a good second um, um, uh, milestone to to accept, right? I think now, long term, yeah, I don't I think going. that's going to. I'm sorry. Long term, I don't think that will continue. I think at some point we'll get more and more serious escape, and then we're going to have to recalibrate. And um, my contacts say that all the major vaccine companies are looking at at uh, variant-oriented vaccines now. Goodness me! Uh, so it's a reminder, Professor Krauss. I know we have. Uh, we often talk on uh, an international perspective as well. It's a real reminder that this pandemic is nowhere near over globally. No, no, goodness, absolutely not. Looking at the, um, I, I guess we're talking about 180 million cases as of today with 3.9 million deaths. And, um, you know, still a huge number of cases coming out of Brazil, India, Colombia, Argentina, um, uh, uh, Russia has, has a resurgence. Indonesia's looking quite busy. Bangladesh, Malaysia, the number of countries where it's not under control. So we're in a, we're in, in, in quite a good um, situation compared to what's going on around the country. Just finally, look, thousands of people have travelled out of Wellington since the COVID nineteen this COVID nineteen positive case. So people have travelled around the country now. And I think James Nokisa, you were you were saying this you know, surrealistic exhibition in Te Papa. There were thousands of well, the, the, you know recorded have been thousands of people. I mean, how, how can we see this play out in the next week, Kurt? What, what to look for? I think we want to look for um, cases that pop up now under the surveillance in Wellington. I, I know ESR is doing sewage surveillance in the major centres, and it'll be good, interesting to see if they uh, find any evidence of, of uh, Delta into the, in the community. Um, boy, people need to, I think, mask up when they're on public transportation okay. or airplanes or in a crowded situation and social distance, wash your hands, do all the things that we used to do, everything so that we're ready, right? We've, we've been through the drill. We've done it before. We can do it again. Let's just get serious and, 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 and take charge now. Good to have you on the program, Professor Kurt. Thank Krause. you very much. Appreciate it.
Biochemistry professor at the University of Otago uh, there. Now, um, uh, Wallace, I've just returned from South Australia, says Dorothy, where COVID scanning is compulsory on pain of $1,000 fine. Minister Hipkins uh, excused our not making it compulsory due to the cost of compliance in South Australia. I'd estimate that 98% of people do scan in. So why don't we do something like here? We may return to scanning uh, tomorrow uh, on the panel. 20 past four, a new report out today by the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists. Uh, Toy Mata Holder shows New Zealand cannot afford to waste another three years watching the crisis and mental health spiral further out of control. And it underlines that in the nearly three years since the 2018 Mental Health and Addiction Inquiry, not only has little changed, but key indicators are worsening, including a concerning increase in the practice of seclusion. Now, of this $1.9 billion mental health budget, $235 million has been allocated for capital spending, meaning building facilities, but just over 500 k of it has actually been spent, News Hub reported. So to discuss is Executive Director of the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists, Sarah Dalton. Sarah, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. So this report, What Price Mental Health, The Crisis and the Cure, this echoes what others have been saying, including those working on the front line? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, there's nothing new to read here. Mm. We've just tried to pull together the existing data and in a really kind of brief and snappy way for people. So what were a couple of key facts in the report that jumped out for you? We have the lowest number of practising psychiatrists per capita compared with most other developed countries. And although we have somewhat increased our psychiatric workforce in the last few years, it hasn't come close to keeping pace with the increase in demand and the need for acute services. And I think the other thing I'd say is that the way we fund acute psychiatric services is predicated on the idea that 3% of the population will need that support, when in fact we know it's closer to 5%. So we are knowingly underfunding by about 40% for those acute services. Right, I'll bring James, our panellist James Nokise in straight away because James, uh, you've been doing a podcast uh, on mental health. Uh, yes, I, I, I am no expert no. Uh, by any means. I'm just an idiot in the shower talking about his own <laughs> mental problems. Um, and eating chicken. And eating chicken. You know it, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, good on you. But the, um, the, the thing that strikes me is that a, a lot of the Pacific people I know, and maybe it's true for, for other um, peoples, uh, struggle to find someone who speaks mental health to them. Um, is, that, is that something you've noticed, Sarah, that there, there is a, a diversity problem within uh, not just having enough psychologists, but enough psychologists to cover a diverse range of cultural practices? Yeah, absolutely. And some of the larger services, like you see at Auckland, will have dedicated Pacifica and Māori-focused services. But like across the whole of the medical and clinical workforce, we don't have a representative mix of mm. clinicians to match Pacifica and Māori populations. Um, so that is a real problem. And also, you know, chillingly, um, the statistics suggest that a, num- you know, a number of people who end their lives haven't actually accessed any mental health service in the year preceding their death. So, you know, there's all kinds of gaps in the system. And it's taking a toll on the people who need the support. It's also taking a toll on those healthcare workers who are in there battling.
Mm. Uh, Ali, what are your thoughts on this? Well, the one thing I wanted to say, I think it's absolutely tragic. I do wonder if it's a bit of a bureaucratical cock-up. I heard um, Minister Andrew Little, who I've got a lot of time for, actually repeatedly talk about getting 500 more frontline roles where they're needed. He was talking mainly, I think, in primary health, and he mentioned GPs. And I know this happened in our local GP, and I can tell you from personal experience it's an experiment, and it hasn't worked. So the people who I know tried to access that, and they were counselling. So were they qualified and, and the right people to be in that role? I don't know. But when they were accessed, it, and I'm talking from a young person's perspective here, it just didn't deliver what it should, not the support, not the information not the plan. It was, here are some pills, and that was it. And I think that's really dangerous. Sarah, what I want to know from you is, this 500 frontline role uh, explanation for some of the spend that we've heard from Minister Little, are you seeing that? Is it helping? Does he know what the outcome was of that? So the bulk of our members um, are psychiatrists who are working at the really pointy end of mental health. We do have members who are GPs. But what I would say is that the healthcare workers right across the mental health spectrum from primary care, including GPs, all the way through to acute care and and, and including other workers like nurses and psychologists and people who can do talk therapy, which is really um, useful but missing at the moment. We can't just magic them up overnight. That is a long-term proposition. Now, we've been calling for a decent workforce stock take in health um, so that we can actually see the nature of the problem and target training and um, staffing to meet that gap. But, you know, psychiatry is the specialty group that we rely on most heavily for overseas trained doctors. So we're already importing the majority of our psychiatric workforce in terms of doctors. And we're not growing enough of our own New Zealand trained doctors. Um, But this isn't a snap election, right? This has been going on for a long, long time. Why? Well, it is partly a money story, and I know people find that really boring when we always say we need more money in health, but we are just not getting in front of the tsunami of needs. So even when there are increases, they don't keep pace. But I'd also make the point that there are some big social determinants that sit well outside health, vote health, poverty, housing, Mm. climate change, colonisation. They are really big issues, and the downstream product of those things are increased mental health Yes, we have um, an email from a very stressed practitioner here. Wallace, I work in general practice and the services of mental health are so stretched. For example, a four to five month wait just for publicly funded counselling. We find ourselves having to deal with very distressed people ourselves with inadequate training and support. Worse, there is inequity around the country in access to services. It's a disgrace and it's quite stressful as a practitioner. So that's an example, Sarah. Yeah, that's absolutely what they're telling us. Actually, one of our members contacted us today and said, tell the minister, and, and I agree, Ali, I think I think Andrew Little is pay, paying careful attention to the many issues in health, but one of our members rang us today and said, invite the minister to come and spend half a day or a day with me and my team. I would love him to mm. see up front what we are dealing with. Mm, um, right. You know, there's this, there's this dialogue that we value our healthcare workforce, but we clearly don't currently. They can't even get a pay rise. Good to have you on the program, Sarah. I appreciate it. Uh, that is Sarah Dalton there, the Executive Director of the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists. It is 27 past four. You're on the panel, RNZ National, James Norkese and Ali Jones with me this afternoon uh, in a very different topic to this now. 
Why do we f- define ourselves by our jobs? Asks an article in BBC's Work Life, warning that tying our identities too close to work can be dangerous. Pro- psychology professor Ann Wilson says that investing too much time and energy into work can result in a state called enmeshment, where the boundaries between work and life are blurred, less space for hobbies and interests and making it harder to connect with people who aren't a part of your working life and perhaps causing you to tie your self-worth to your career. And I just wanted to go around the panel. Does that sound familiar, uh, Ali? Do you you get too enmeshed or do you define yourselves by something else? I just couldn't get my head around this. I hear you laughing, James, and I, I wonder if it's the same chuckle that I'm feeling growing from my belly. I mean, what the hell is new in this? Um, of course we define ourselves by our job, who we, we are, and why the hell not? I mean, I could talk a glass eye to sleep. That's part of who I am and in my job, in my role and in my job. But I, it shouldn't be. If I, if, you, if, I, if, I, if, if I meet you at a dinner party or a function mm. and um, I, I, I go, what do you do? You shouldn't come back at me. Well, I'm a, I'm a member of the Papua New Guinea Community <laughs> Board. You know, you should tell me something real about yourself. Uh, well, actually, what I do and who I am, I'm sorry, are inextricably linked. I have got a real sense for justice and things that are right, and that goes through everything I do, whether it's my PR, whether it's my local government stuff or the insurance claimant stuff. I can't separate them. I think if we're talking about work-life balance, if we're talking about burnout and well-being, that's a different conversation, but right. you're inextricably linked to what you do as a job, I think. Okay, so you're well and fully enmeshed. No hope for you. James Lucchese. <laughs> No, no hope for me. I, I had a personal mental breakdown where I sat in a shower eating fried chicken and this company now pays me to sit in a shower and eat fried chicken. Wahoo! There you go. <laughs> like, if that's not a measurement, I don't measurement. I'm, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm the worst example of this. But uh, surely, Ali, uh, you must agree on this. Aren't we always told, find, find a job you love and you'll never work a day? Find like, a job you love and love the job you... Oh, that doesn't work. What's the saying? Uh, there is another saying, but yeah, yeah. No, you're my, right. My, right. My parents are, are quite working class and, you know, sort of part of their thing was finding the joy in, in the work that they do. I think we... I think boundaries... I think you're right, Ali. I think, you know, learning about boundaries as you get older, so knowing when you need to step away from the work you love mm. doing. But I don't want to stop doing, like, you know... I don't want to be at a party and someone come up and ask me, what do you do? Oh, I'm a comedian. Oh, tell me a joke. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Does that happen? Yeah, that, that's, oh, yeah. No. That's what, I, now I just tell people I sit in the shower and eat chicken and yeah. they leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess the wider point, Ali, that you might, you, might, you might have missed is that it's really important to have a calling outside your job, outside your career, something, something else, because you're a three-dimensional person. Yeah, you're but that just... calling outside the job is linked to the job for me. Right. Yeah, so um, I know what I know what my limits are. I'm not going to suddenly go to a drawing class or something because <laughs> that's not me. Um, but yeah, look, I understand what you're saying, and I do get the point of this. But it really was just slightly tedious to read. All right, you're on the panel, RNZ National, uh, coming up to twenty nine to five uh, with me, James Nokusay and Ali Jones. It is time for headlines with Marama Tepoli.